Welcome to Raising Up Cops, Raising Coptic Kids in Western Culture. We are back again. I am Madonna and I'm here with my fantastic co-host, Laura. And Laura is going to tell us a little bit about what we've got going on today. So Madonna, I've been asking myself, what is the difference between a family that brings their kids to church, but the kids stay in church versus a family that brings their kids to church and the, the kids leave the church. This is a really big topic and I'm sure it's, it's really complicated. There's a lot of factors involved, but I kind of want us to parse out what the factors are. And like tying into this, there was a post recently by one of the youth ministry leaders of the Greek archdiocese. And I, you know, talking about how we are not raising faithful youth we as the orthodox church clearly not coptic but that we are not raising faithful youth that we are not raising youth that are fully rooted in christ and and so i kind of want to explore that idea madonna because of course like you and i we don't have teens yet we haven't gone through that phase and we're going to get there and i want to do as much as i can everything i can possibly do on my end to get them safely through the tumultuous years <laughs> this is definitely a really, really, I don't want to say convoluted topic, but I know it's got many, many layers. And I know that everyone's circumstances and stories and backgrounds are going to be quite different that lead them to where they are today. But I will say, I feel like I've seen a few patterns that not determine, but like are common, common situations where the kids have stayed and common in situation where the kids have not stayed. Um, so I don't know. Have you seen something like that? Yeah, I feel like there has been. I like. I think I'm on my. I'm currently on my third generation of youth. I guess so. Not counting our own. So let's say fourth generation. You know, I saw kids in our church who, when we were kids, who just disappeared from the church for a few years, and then came back and brought families and recentered themselves at least on the church. I, I'm not, of course, I don't know anything about their home life, but they at least recentered themselves on the church. And then there were my first set of Sunday school kids. And I saw some of them where I was very, very concerned that they were never going to find their way back. And yet somehow they did. Not all of them, obviously. There, there are always people who seem to, you know, choose a different path or fall through the cracks or however we want to phrase it. <clears throat> but now I'm on the third generation which is currently moving through this phase and i i just want to know like how do we how do we get them to come back or how do we get them to really understand god mm. i you know what laura when i was a kid we didn't have a church that um had a priest so we had to we we were on that system which i think a lot of churches at the beginning were on which is they would have a visiting priest once a month and that was the time that we had liturgy. And the other three weeks, other three Sundays out of the month, we didn't have anything. And so I feel like the potential for disaster there in terms of our spiritual life could have been really bad. But what I appreciate my parents and all, all the parents at that time did is that they made it a point that we still showed up to church every Sunday, if not for Sunday school, for fellowship, for hymns class, for activities, Um and so the consistency of going was really important to our families. And it was just part of our life. 
Now there's this one family in my church currently that I am like in love with. I love their family. I love their kids. Their kids are older now and grown and married and, and a whole thing. But um, one thing that they said is that they used to live really far from church, like two hours. And they did not under any circumstance, let the kids lazy out of going to church on Sundays. And so it was a non-negotiable in their house. And just from the get-go, foundationally, kids did not have a say in it. It was, we are going to wake up, we are going to drive the two hours to church, and we're going to be there. Um, and they insist that that is what determined that their kids are so involved with the church currently. And I don't know. I think that maybe um, there's probably some merit to saying, if your attitude currently is lukewarm, as they, as we learn from the Bible that, you know, there are Sundays we can skip because we're tired and there's Sundays we can skip because we're doing whatever, then maybe our children will also adopt that kind of um, attitude. But I'm not sure that that's a direct one-to-one -one correlation. What do you think? Yeah, I feel like we, you know, we don't always see that you can come to church and not really be in church. You know, it can right. be that you put in all this effort on Sunday and then during the week, nothing at all is happening, which one of my friends was arguing this, that it's not about what happens on Sunday. It's about what happens on Monday. What happens on Monday? Is God right. completely absent on Monday <clears throat> or is God still involved? Are we praying together as a family on our own when it's completely up to us? Or are we only praying when everyone is watching right like yeah everybody's there to see the difference between attending liturgy and living liturgically there's a huge difference there and then the other thing that i feel at least or or the thing i'm contemplating let me put it that way is that perhaps there has to be some kind of point where the family goes through something and needs God, whatever it is, they go through something difficult, they need God, they rely on God. And then that example is the example kids have for how to go through their crises, instead of it being, <clears throat> we're going through a crisis, everything falls apart, we stop going to church, we, you know, like, there is, there's a way of handling your life crises that gives kids the foundation or a template to follow in the future I can believe that yeah I totally think that I have witnessed my parents mode of uh crisis intervention being prayer and asking Abuna to pray and the holy oil and the end deals and all that stuff you know the unction and so I can totally see that that was the model that I had in my own life but also, Laura, I have to say that despite everything that my parents did and tried and, and really did in order for us to live the liturgical life, I'm a firm believer that every person has to experience a period of rebellion before they buy into orthodoxy or to Christianity or to the church. And I say that because I feel like as much, I, I don't know, I've always been bracing myself for this period with my kids. I'm doing everything I can right here, right now, so that when they experience this period of rebellion that I am, again, bracing myself for, 
that they feel so uncomfortable <laughs> out and away from church that it's like a deep ingrained desire. I'm missing something. I need to go back home. Like kind of like those homing pigeons, you know, that always like go back where they're supposed to go. <laughs> and that's because they're so used to going back to where they're supposed to go. That's what I am praying for my own children. I completely get that there's going to be a period of time where I have no idea what's going to happen in their life. Things aren't going to make sense. God is not going to be uh, relevant to them in some way. I don't know what's going to happen. I, I mean, I hate that it's going to happen, but I feel like it's just going to happen. But in the end, I'm going for like the final goal. Are they going to turn back around and come back? And that's really what I'm aiming for. I feel like it, this reminds me of something my dad always used to say when I was in my teen years, which is he would just like look at us and be like, taste and see that the Lord is good. Like, yes, he, he would say, I cannot describe to you anymore how awesome God is. At some point, you have to go out there and meet him. Like at some point, you have to have this, this, you know, uh, wrestling. This, yeah. And so I think this idea like taste and see, like it's not enough to just be in the habit of going to church and it's not enough just to be doing things as a family. There will, like you said, come a point where that child will have to make that decision inside mm -hmm. to follow the path of orthodoxy. And I, you know, I love what you said about taking them to church every day and the homing pigeons. It, it, um, I learned this concept. It has a fancy name, but all I can remember is minimum baseline. So like you have a minimum baseline of how many times you shower. Some people it's once a week, some people it's three times a day, but like if you skip one, okay, that's okay. But if you skip two, you start to feel like something's wrong, you know? Um, and so it's the same with church. If you're going to church, if you're if your minimum baseline is weekly church attendance, then you could maybe go two weeks without going to church, but then your whole body will be like, something is wrong. <laughs> Why am I not at church again? You know, or, you know, if you're going every other week, then maybe you could skip a month. And then at the end of that month, you'd be like, wait a second, something's not right. I, I don't feel right. So I, I think that that's, it's a very real thing. Like it's a very real thing that when you're used to something, when something is a hundred percent a part of your life, then it's something you can't get away from. But I do think that that kind of is the difference between I go to church because I'm used to it. It's convenient. Like the nostalgia of going to church, which is like something I really want to talk about at some point too. Um, you know, this is where my friends are. This is where my culture is. And then this is where God is. And this is where I go to worship. And this is where mm. my problems are solved through prayer, like through communion, through prayers on the altar, like Amen. <laughs> those two yes. things. And I also, but you know what, Laura, in, and I'd like to add to this. I've seen, because uh, earlier I was talking about, there's a lot of um, commonalities between I, that I've seen through people that have not stayed and people that have stayed. And one of the commonalities, one of the commonalities I've seen in people that have not stayed is very tied closely to the people that attend with them, the congregation that they experience. I've seen a lot of people who have had, you're talking about encounters with Christ. They've had encounters with the tants and the uncles and the giddus and the tetas and all of the, the, the people there that have been less than desirable, um, judgmental at best chaotic and <laughs> terrible at worst, you know, just um, they've experienced uh, um, this like ingenuine sense of uh, community that they weren't 
a fan of for any reason. Um, and I totally see that that being a factor, but I can't help but get disheartened that that is the deciding factor. So a lot of time when I talk to somebody and they say, you should see the church I went to, and I'm waiting to hear like, you know, something happened in the service or something happened, whatever. And it's always about the people that they attended with. They called me out for this and they talked to me like that. And they would tell us not to do this. And then they would turn around and do that. I do think that the way that we conduct ourselves in church with each other is a large factor of what makes people want to come back or not come back. And I um, can think of a very specific example of a husband and wife that I know that the husband grew up very, very, very attached to the church. Um, and then he got married to this wife who also grew up in the church, but her experience in the church was literally one negative event after another, one negative thing after another, to the point now that they've had a kid and they're considering just not taking them back to the Orthodox church because of her own experience. And her husband, who at the time was blind to a lot of, not blind, but he uh, made excuses for a lot of the things that he would see in the community. But when he saw it through his wife's eyes, I guess, bought into it and said, wow, yeah, this is pretty bad. Um, and it kind of is, is, is pretty heartbreaking that we, as the body of Christ, could be the cause of turning people away from the church. Um, now, I, I say this, and with the same token, I say we have to, within ourselves, know the difference between the body of Christ and Christ himself. We have to know the difference between encountering the people who are all there because they're sinful and all there because they don't know better either. And then Christ, who's the person we're all going to, who is the center of perfection and the center of completion. So if there's some way that we can get that message across to people who um, encounter the congregation in this way and, and it deters them from church, I would love to hear it. <laughs> I would love to hear. And I think it has to do a lot with what you said about people having to encounter Christ on their own in their, like of their own volition of it being from something inside of themselves. I think that makes a really good point because we put a lot of substitutes for Christ in our mind. Like we assume that the Orthodox Christian God is like so-and-so who said this to me. Yes, Or like this priest who gave a fire and brimstone sermon on a day, I was not feeling very good about myself. Mm. You know, um, We do a lot of substitution and we think this is Christ and this is Christ and this is Christ. And we don't go out there and find Christ himself or, <laughs> or seek Christ himself and then come back and see how the church, it's not the people in the church necessarily, but the church system is really designed to support you in that walk, you know? Um, I think that's, we, we make it just about those surface level things or those surface level events, but definitely we as Orthodox need to be, you know, as members of that body need to be gentle with each other and need to be encouraging to each other and need to, to know that when we say something to a kid, it, it matters. Or when we mm -hmm. say something to, when we are judgmental and we say something judgy, it sticks. It doesn't just that evaporate the way we imagine that it will there's a, a girl at church who is fairly new i've only had a few interactions with her but i realized that all the interact like recently realized all the interactions i've had with her have been negative like mm. telling her don't do this stop that like they've all been 
I don't have enough time with her to have built a positive bank. And I'm like, oh, to her, even though like all these other kids know me and love me, to this girl specifically, I'm the tunt who's always telling her to stop. Yes, <laughs> yes. And so I have to, so now actively I'm like seeking her out to say, oh, I love your hair. What did you do to the, what is that bow? That's so cute. Like actively trying to refill that bank that I didn't realize I was taking um withdrawals from you know and that's huge laura i think that's that's like a um something that we can take away from this too is uh, maybe some of us are naturally inclined to um think about what's going wrong and so we mention it and it's out of a place of love you're like hey kid you're not doing this like you're supposed to and hey uh mr so and so you're supposed to be you know you're supposed to be fast like there's many things that we can say to each other because there's a true and correct way to be in church right <laughs> but what you did was recognize that and then change it and then seek out that person that you know that you um i won't say wronged but probably didn't come off as the most loving to and I think that that is a huge factor. I think that um, if there's something that we can, you know, take off of, take out from the the model of Christ is that um, it's never too late to go back and, and ask for forgiveness. And I think that that forgiveness would go a long way um, with some people that we may have said something to that we shouldn't have said or treated in a way we shouldn't have treated. And I, what better, what better example of Christ could we give, you know, if we want them to experience Christ? they can experience it through us and through our, um, not just through our perfection, right. But even through our faults and how we rectify them. I think that that would be pretty powerful. The other thing I've been telling Abuna is I feel like we have this problem where culturally we are very private people and we don't like to talk mm. about either our problems or our successes publicly. And it's not true for everyone, I would say, but like maybe that's the way I was raised where we don't pry into other people's business. But, but coming to recognize that some people need us to pry a little bit so that they can get some relief or release of that pressure that they have inside. So for mm -hmm. example, when you're saying hi to people, and you're saying, hi, bye, how are you? Good to see you but like someone had a really hard week, but you will never know because you don't push mm. a little bit more to find out what is really happening in their life and then show them love in that. You know, um, I think like people will be sick and when they come to our churches, we don't do this whole like Protestant thing of like, let's all pray for Jan now. Jan is yes. going through <laughs> this and we're all, you know, we because it is so kind of like, there's an ick factor, right? To, to that kind of like gossipy prayer circle, <laughs> but just finding that, allowing people to really encounter each other so that they can see that we, we do care, you know? So like right. maybe these kids had problems, but they didn't feel they could come talk to their Sunday school servants because we are all very much like everybody mind your own business, you know? I don't know. Is that, no, I agree because, I mean, that's what we talked about last week a little bit, Laura, when I said that, you know, the culture that we're trying to build in, in our home is, you know, my husband will come home from work and share out loud the the issues that he had at work with certain people or certain things. And the kids are uh, participants in this discussion and they learn that sometimes things don't go well. And the hope is that when we are depositing in that bank of us coming home and you know, 
sharing our problems, that they would in turn also come and tell us about their problems. And so far, we have seen examples of them doing exactly that. And I feel like it's the same in the community in the church. The, the more that we are able to um, explain to each other and talk to each other about our true situations that we are dealing with, the more they will open up and that sense of community will grow. And there's that buy-in that we talk about. People will be will buy into church and the church community. So I definitely support that. Yes. Yeah. They'll feel like it's not just a surface thing. We're not all work operating on the surface. You know, someone wrote to me about this whole like youth leaving the church thing and was saying um, that they wished that we had more people talking about their actual life experiences with Christ, like their day-to-day experiences, because it's so often that we hear, oh, over in Egypt, miracles happen. Mm. Or over like a thousand years ago, miracles happened, but there are no miracles today here in the U.S. And we just, because we don't talk about it, we right. are all very like, hush, hush, keep it all on the DL. Um, that like kind of being a little bit more open with our experiences with Christ makes a difference. And here's one other thing that I will I will say to um, the listeners and the people and the children, if they're listening, and even to myself, there is this um, parenting rule that I've heard recently that I really love. And that is when you look for the good, the good increases. So um, one thing that I've been um, struggling with with my daughter during homeschooling, for example, and my son, actually, they do this thing where they're doing a page of work or they're looking at something and they get to problem number four. OK, and they cannot do problem number four. Now, um, my son has the intuitive ability to skip it and do the next things that he can do. Right. My daughter gets by her nature, gets hung up on number four. And we'll sit there and stress and fret about number four while forgetting all the other things that she can do that are coming up. And I have to consciously explain to her, or I have to be very intentional and teach her, listen, you cannot know this one, but look at all the things that you do know. And I have to push her to keep moving forward. And we go back and look, look at how many things you did know. And you didn't know that one. You could have gotten hung up on that one, but you kept moving. I think that we can apply that same principle to church. I think in every congregation across the world, again, because it's made up of humans, there will be lots of problems and there will be lots of imperfections. We can get hung up on those imperfections. This church only speaks in Arabic and this person is always judgmental and these people, the sermons are always boring and whatever. I don't know, whatever the situation may be. We can get hung up on those or we can look for the good and the good will increase, meaning that the more that we keep our eyes fixed on or focused on what is positive and what is um, fulfilling to us, the more that will fulfill us. And so those other things, while they may be stumbling blocks and while they may be hiccups in the road, you're not going to love them, but they don't need to be the focus of your entire relationship with Christ. They don't need to be the center of your um, participation in church. And I feel like that's something that I would also want people, including myself, by the way, I'm, I'm pretty bad at this myself. My daughter got it. Honestly, she, she gets it from me. I also do the thing where I get focused on the one problem, but I do think that there is value in looking for the good and focusing on that. Yeah. And I think that we can, you know, some of the takeaways from our conversation today are to make sure that we as a family are setting that minimum baseline of going to services that we're also fostering that kind of 
interaction with Christ during the week, right? Like the Monday through Saturday church time, mm. church home time that we give model for our kids how to live a godly life, whether it's through like the, you know, discussions of things that happened or whether we are just going through something together and we are praying through it and they are seeing that trusting when they take their rebellious time um that we have set everything in place and just being very prayerful it was the feast of saint monica last week so um you know the idea of like praying for our kids a lot <laughs> that they'll make it through anything <laughs> if we pray really hard yes <laughs> And just kind of, yeah. And then making sure that we teach our kids also to be looking at the good. So, you know, not coming home and bashing the priest, the service, the servants, the other people at church, mm -hmm. you know, like when you come home in your home environment, you shouldn't be um, focusing on the negative of what happened on Sunday. It should be. But to, but to add to that, that even if you do do that, that you can go back and correct it with your children. You know, yeah. you you came home and spoke negatively about this person. Go back and say, you know, I let myself say things that were not right about this person, uh, even though I didn't agree with them. I shouldn't have acted like that and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You're modeling that going back and fixing whatever that was that wrong was. Yeah, 100 percent. And then with all of these things, we're praying. <laughs> that we are able to encourage. Oh, and then, and then being ourselves, good citizens in the body of Christ, right? Like right. ourselves being less judgmental, being more open with people, creating that atmosphere of love and vulnerability, you know, that allows people to come to us when, when they have a problem. Excellent recap, Laura. So we just want to encourage everyone today that um, we none of us have figured out the formula. None of us have figured out exactly how to go from point A to point B with our children and make sure they stay in the church. But we do know that there's some commonalities and Laura just highlighted them for us. And um, finally, don't underestimate the power of praying for your children. We've seen some really miraculous things happen. Even if you see your kids going away that you were not expecting or your spouse even. I know that there's some situations like that. Um, you see them going away that you don't want them to go away from the church. We pray, we pray, we pray, and God can do miraculous thing and encounter these people in miraculous ways and bring them back. So thank you all so much for joining us today on Raising Up Cops. Raising Up Cops is a production of Coptic Dad and Mom. This podcast is hosted by Laura Michael and Madonna Lawindi. None of the views expressed during this recording are the official stance of the Coptic Orthodox Church or its hierarchy. These are our personal opinions, collected experiences, and organic discussions on selected topics. If you'd like to reach out with any questions or comments, you can reach us at raisingupcops at gmail.com.